being part of Realtree now is just like a huge accomplishment. It's one of my best accomplishments I feel like in my life. One day we were out sail fishing, caught like a dozen sailfish off the coast. And then that night we went out and went alligator hunting and killed a 12 foot gator. And I'm like trying to grab my arrows, trying to knock them. And it was a timed event, it was five shots. And I'm up against T-Bone, which is one of the best shots in the in the game. I've had so many times the gators come up, bite holes in the bottom of the boat, start taking on water. I, it is an adrenaline rush like no other. I was in the direct path of Irma. So I'm like, oh gosh, I've been training for months for this elk hunt, freaking out. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna need one of you guys to plug these holes in this boat with your fingers and I'm gonna oar as fast as I can back to land so we don't sink. I thought I gave him enough time and then found him bedded up again and got another arrow in him and he ran and jumped off a cliff. I mean a girl, you know, or something that's like, wait, you hunt? I'm like, yep. This is Brett Cannon. You're listening to Living Country in the City, episode 39. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to episode 39 of Living Country in the City. As always, a big thank you to all y'all that are tuning in each week. Make sure you don't miss out on any episodes by searching for Living Country in the City on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, and subscribe. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Now, today I'm talking with Brett Cannon out of Parkland, Florida. Brett is a deep sea fisherman, a hunter, a guide, and generally just a crazy inspirational dude. I love following this guy online. He's always working his butt off and just has an incredible attitude, so I'm really excited to talk with him today. Brett, thanks for joining me on the call. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Hey, so I always like to start out with maybe just a little bit of background about you, how you got your start in, you know, the outdoors, hunting and fishing and all of that. Okay. Well, you know, my family, my grandfather and my father were all hunters, fishermen and uh, in Texas. Well, my my dad bought a, a company that moved us out of Texas into kind of like the city in 1985. I was only one years old. So I kind of would only be able to get into the outdoors when I moved back to Texas or if I 
trip. Actually, I visited Texas or visited my, all my relatives or went there for summers and went and Christmases and stuff like that. So the fishing in South Florida is great. You know, hunting, not so much. You know, I just I just grew up fishing and hunt and hunting with my dad. So you're born in Texas, you know, right, right after that, you know, you, you move with your folks to, uh, to South Florida and, you know, you grow up, you grow up hunting with your dad fishing, but mostly with the hunting it's, it's when you're, when you're heading back to Texas with the family then. Yeah. Maybe once, maybe once a year for a couple days, you know, normally around Christmas or Thanksgiving when we, we would drive all the way there, it'd be like a 24 hour drive and. You know, but I was, I love practicing bow. All I wanted to do was, I mean, I watched David Blanton and Bill Jordan's Real Tree stuff. Like, I mean, I bought every Monster Bucks DVD. My goal was, <laughs> I'm like, I have to be on Monster Bucks. I have, this is like my goal in life is to be an outdoorsman, you know. But at the time, you know, sports, I was, I was a baseball player and I played baseball until like I was 25, 26 years old, a little bit into like the pro level. So that kind of, takes a lot of it but like i would always ditch my drive was hunting like i would or fishing or something you know what i mean so the outdoors just what what drove me and i just figured ways out how to do it in the city or how to you know how to how to make it happen so what prompted you initially then you know to get behind a bow um just watching my dad kind of getting into it and all the guys on TV getting into it. And, you know, I killed my first deer, killed my first buck with a rifle, but my second buck was with a bow at the age of 13. So like an eight point, I, I mean, oh my gosh, I, I was, I freaked out, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, ever since then, it's always just been like an itch to shoot a bow. And I would always shoot my little backyard, 20 yards is all I had. And every single day when I was a little kid, my first kid, I could draw back 30 pounds. I would go in the back and I'm like, Hey, can I practice my bow in the backyard? Hey, can I practice my bow in the backyard? So since I was 13, like neighbors get mad, like people, arrows reflecting and like, I'm like, Oh gosh, like, mom, I got my arrows in the neighbor's yard. What do I do? Like, you know, like, Oh, great. So I don't know. I just, ever since I was a young, a young boy, I just loved shooting a bow and arrow. When I didn't have to kill anything. I just loved shooting, <laughs> at dark, you know? No, I'm with you on that, man. I grew up, uh, there's a, there's a park not too far from me that they had, you know, archery bales set up and, uh, I had my little, uh, youth recurve bow that I'd go shoot. And I think back, you know, and I, I think back to how I'd shoot with that. I'm like, I was pretty dang good with that. Like, I remember I was shooting some distance and I was, I was grouping and I think to myself, like, man, I wish I had kind of kept that going because, Shoot, if I'd kept practicing from that time and with the skill level I had then, I might actually be able to hit something like uh, <laughs> by now. Yeah, I feel like my my shot was better younger. It's like it wasn't as much there wasn't much target panic, you know, I didn't know what that was. There wasn't like the stuff nowadays where you're like I don't know, you, you just so much going on and Well, it didn't matter back then, you know? Yeah. It's like as you you hit the hay bale, you're like super stoked like you're like yeah whatever like to be perfect yeah exactly like now if i'm not perfect i'm upset and then then it's in my then i'm all in my own mind right so back then it was just hey i just want to shoot mm -hmm. if i hit the target awesome and then you'd be like grouping not i did more robin hood when i was young than i have now you know it's like yeah. 
just like when I bring new people in, especially women, like they're hand steady and they're not as worried. And they're like, once you calm them down and they're not scared of the boat, they shoot awesome. You know, like new people. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? So it's like something you got to figure out. All right. It must be mental or, or something, you know? What yeah. I mean? Well, it's funny. You know, I, I, you past whatever, eight months, 10 months, you know, I've been like, it, almost stressing myself out, you know, prepping for this elk hunt I just got back from. And, you know, it's like, oh, I got to every time I go out and shoot, I got to work, 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 work. And, uh, you know, I always enjoyed it. But like, I think I removed a lot of that fun aspect to shooting. Like I would go out and I, I wouldn't just like relax and just kind of sling some arrows sometimes. Like I was always like, it was it was always very regimented like okay i need to be doing these things to get better and practice like it wasn't just going out and enjoying sh- like i didn't have a lot of those weekends where i just kind of had fun shooting shooting some arrows that weekend and i think yep yep i'm it's almost a relief to be past the elk hunt you know however you know we talked a little bit about it earlier but you know however crazy and whatever it was I've got that out of my system now. Everything else is like, you know, I'll, I'll be ready. I'll be ready as long as I'm, you know, still out there shooting. And, uh, now I can get back to just having fun with everything and not like putting so much pressure on myself to. And I, and that comes with, I think experience and over time, like, cause you're so pressured to get it done now. And then like, once you get it done and then each year it's like, okay, you, you learn how to prepare and how to prepare better and how to practice and, and all that. And I, I think to, that's how I was like this year. I'm like, I'm not going to just start training, you know, physically and mentally a month before or a month and a half before, like I did this year. It's just more of an all year, all year thing. I'm like that way kind of know what I'm going into. I, you know, my first backcountry do it yourself deal. And now I'm, I'm ready and I'm looking forward to training next year already. And I already started today. I did a little bit of training today already. <laughs> already? I'm like, yeah, already. It's like, so yeah, for sure. Practicing, figuring out how to practice right, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my cut, co- my cousin, we, we try to shoot every day and we talk about each other's shot. And he, last night he was shooting. He's like, I just not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I'm like, all right, well just take a deep breath. Go into 20 yards. You don't have to shoot 100 arrows a day. You can shoot a dozen. Go into 20 yards, you know, group at 20 real quick, like three or four shots real real tight because you know you can at 20, and then call it a day. End on a good note, and then start over tomorrow, you know, because some days you don't have it. And, you know, I think that's a confidence deal and, you know, kind of being able to, like, not practice a bad habit now because you're you're freaking yourself out or you're – you're not shooting well, so you're just going to keep on pumping it. And like, oh, I got to keep doing it. I got to get better. And you're not going to get better. Then you're just going to psych yourself out. And then sometimes just going to that 20, let a couple off, tight group, and then call it a day. And start over. Start refresh tomorrow. Yep. Well, and then, you know, sometimes you get in there and, like, you're just you're just shooting like crap, whatever it is. And, and you psych, like you said, you psych yourself out. But then, or you convince yourself, like, Oh, maybe, maybe my sight's not adjusted correctly or, or maybe this and you start like tweaking stuff or doing weird things or whatever it is. And you just exacerbate the problem and you, you know, you make it worse and worse and worse. And suddenly now you've, you've completely like adjusted your pin, readjusted your pins nine times. And now they're, 
they're just completely off. When you knew they were on the first time, you were just having an off day. And- yeah, you were doing one little thing, you know, one thing a little different than you normally done. Or or sometimes you didn't really realize that your peep wasn't straight centered or, or something that day. And you're like, it's a little bit off. And you're just like, oh, I can't. And it's just something you just look past sometimes. And now you're readjusting. Like the other day when I was shooting me for my elk hunt, I was, I was like an two inches off off center to the right like a little ev- almost every other shot i'm like do i adjust my sight or what's going on and i realized that oh, was just me i was doing a little something different and then i mm-hmm. myself out but it was it was like a dozen shots in a row and i was almost like all right i need to adjust my sight and i'm like wait let me sit back for a second let me really dissect this and i was like oh okay it was my peep you know a little bit it wasn't completely dead centered and i wasn't you know i was just doing a little some things that uncharacteristic of myself but (laughs) but yeah so uh you know you're a teenager in south florida you're you're playing sports you're you're fishing you're you're hunting so what uh what what happens what takes you from uh from then to now okay yeah so um yeah i didn't realize it at the time but in high school i had a little camera and i'd go i would I probably shouldn't say this, but I used to skip some classes in like before <laughs> practice and I would go fishing for a few hours. This little local pond, I had a little two man bass boat. I put it on my truck and go fish for a few hours before class. And it was like a PE class and a, uh, it was, it was like a study hall or something like classes. <laughs> I don't really so I would go and we, I would film, we would film all our stuff and not just for fun, not really realizing it. Well, Fast forward after college baseball and um, a year in, of, of pro ball and just kind of like getting injured and stuff like that. And I came back and I'm like, man, hunting, I hunted every chance I get. I told my college coach sometimes, hopefully he doesn't listen to this, but um, <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I told him like, oh, I had to go to Texas for so-and-so. Really, my dad's like, hey, let's just go hunt. Let's go f- away for a hunt. And I'm supposed to miss, I missed like three or four practices and I kind of had to take a little white lie to my coach and, you know, just so I could go hunt because I had to get that in, you know. And, uh, oh, you know, so every chance I could, I was fishing with my brother, hunting with my dad or, or, or hunting, fishing by myself with some buddies, but not near at the level that I would ever be anything because I just couldn't, I didn't have the time. Well, I uh, done with baseball, trying to figure out what I want to do and went and worked for a family company and kind of decided I wanted to go the whole TV, outdoor TV route. And I started like a little apparel company. I started it with a friend. It was called Killing It Outdoors. And, you know, just because like one day, what was it? One day we were out sailfish and caught like a dozen sailfish off the coast. And then that night we went out and went alligator hunting and killed a 12-foot gator. And huh. you're like, dude, we're killing it today. We're killing it. <laughs> killing it outdoors. All right, cool. So then we ran with that and we videoed. I bought, I saved up, bought my first like, professional camera. And I just started videoing everything everything we've started videoing taught myself how to edit adobe taught myself i'm I'm like horrible you know i don't know how to run a (laughs) first turkey we had coming in i didn't know i had my nd filter on three and i'm like why can i it's daylight why can i see this bird coming in up and i missed the whole shot like you know just like trial and error stuff and i uh i i just just started filming we started doing a lot of stuff and you know, going to trade shows, setting up my own booth, trying to sell apparel, like talking about being in the red, I'd pay hotel rooms, fuel, all the clothing and sit there and like our stuff I thought was so cool. And everybody come and like people would buy it 
But then it was like at the end of the day, it's like, all right, we still lost five hundred dollars this, <laughs> this week. All right, we still lost this. I'm like, crap. But at the time, what I didn't realize then was all the networking and all the people I was meeting. Like mm-hmm. one of my one of my at Birmingham is like Big Buck Expo, I think, in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm set there. I have my videos, all my videos kind of playing, some cool turkey stuff, some cool things. And I'm right next to that guy, Chad Belding, I was talking to you earlier about at the foul life. And he's kind of intrigued on all the stuff we had going on. And for three days sitting next to somebody, you know, and we're like started to come. And now I'm really close friends with him. And he's introduced me to so many people. And, um, you know, I just – I just, you know, I didn't say no to anything, kind of. Anyone was like, hey, do you want to go try to do this? And I'd find a means or a way to go do it, whether it's hunting or fishing or anything. Um, so I got, in the fishing world, I got on a boat that did professional sail fishing, where we, huge down here in South Florida, I mean, big time, big time tournaments with big time stakes at like a couple hundred thousand dollars on the line. You know, you win these things, you have a seven crew team, and it was just it was just so people in the outdoor industry don't didn't know how to sell fish saw it and were like dude i would love to do that so there became i started like the barter hey come down sell fishing with me i'll go you know we can go hunting together or come kill an alligator with me because an alligator is like a lizard to me i grew up with them down here mm-hmm. so i took the alligator hunting the fishing the turkey hunting which osceola turkey is sought after yeah people pay time dollars for those so i have them in my backyard pretty much well for like an hour <laughs> away so i just took everything that i had that i became good at and i was like how can i use this so i started like tyler jordan from real tree he came and caught his first sailfish with me you know you had nick months come and turkey hunt with me from real tree with our bone collectors and he caught a, a mahi and, and a sailfish with me then i have you know gary allen from a country singer came down and and gator hunted with me killed his first gator with me like all these things and then i just started just slowly started a snowball where people were like what like why is bread or what's bread doing and um now i'm kind of like i kind of kind of got some sponsors and i i guess i taught myself how to take some cool pictures and do some marketing stuff and you know kind of here i am now it's like <laughs> it's been it's been a while it's been a, a hard road to get here but kind of making you know some some good contacts and got some good uh, partnerships with some really big companies, some of the top companies in the industry now. So it's like once you once you're with like somebody like Garmin or Oakley or Realtree, people are like, hey, what's he doing? And then other opportunities start to come. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where that's kind of where I'm at now. Well, you know, it's it's amazing. Like you can get further just knowing how to talk with people and like just being real with them and, and making those contacts will, you know, more than anything else you can do. Like I've noticed, yeah. like all, you know, same kind of thing. Like I would just, an opportunity would come out and like, there'd be some event going on in Salt Lake city, Utah or something. And I'm like, you know, I need to get out for the weekend. You know, let's see how much flights are. And it's like, I'm not making any money off of this, but I got the chance to sit down and talk with some awesome guys. And then the next time I'm out at some event, they recognize me and we'll hang out and we'll do something. And it's, it's just been super, uh, super beneficial knowing how to, you'll get further knowing just how to talk to people like mm-hmm. human oh, yeah. beings than, than anything else in this world. It's amazing. I, I, 
kind of I tell some people, I'm like, it's not what you know, too, you know, especially in this game. Because, I mean, yeah, it helps to know a lot about this, you know, a lot about it. But, man, I'm not a better hunter than a lot of hunters out there. Kids, you know, people always ask me, how do I want, how do I get involved in this? How do I, how do I become, not me, but how do I get sponsors? How do I start a career in the outdoor industry? And to me, it's just like, it's that, what you said. I, how many times, how many, I've flown to Vegas. So I only knew one person, but I walk around and I talk to people. Mm-hmm. And I just meet all these different people and, you know, and just, just keeping up with those contacts is hard, but you have to do it. And, and keeping up with your, you know, you tell them, hey, come down and come fishing with me. You know, holding that, holding them to it, and having them come down, and then, and then they see, okay, and then, you know, I have, I have these guys that come down, and then it's like, oh, I have this huge buyer that wants to catch a sailfish. Now he's his, this guy's repping whatever, and oh, let's go, let's go with Brett. He knows what he's doing. It's going to be huge for our company. I've had, I've had this guy from Shimano call me. And he's like, hey, my number one buyer. I'm like. I'm I'm kind of in a bind and I don't know what to do. And he talked about killing trees or any way that I could come. Boom. It's like, yeah, I'll give you one of my turns. Come down. He kills the Osceola. Biggest one I've ever seen, honestly. <laughs> so I was like, are you kidding me? I kill these little, little dinks compared to what he killed. And I'm like, and then that just, you know, in his mind is like, oh, wow. You know, Brett can get it done. Brett knows what to do. Brett has it. I can trust him. And then they're like, okay. So now I'm like, hey, I need x amount of rods or x amount of reels and it's like a no-brainer okay boom you know what you did for me is huge this buyer keeping him happy entertaining clients and stuff like that and they bring it down and and now i'm i'm more i don't know i'm just better better off with that company that i'm working with now you know so yeah the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You know, it's it's a relationship-building game. It You know, I mean, it... More than anything else, that's what it is. It's building relationships with people, with companies. And, you know, I've had a lot of people that that I'll talk to and then they'll be surprised. They'll be like, wait, so you haven't done any of this before? How on earth are, do you know so-and-so? Or have... I'm like, I just like talking to people. I mean, like I went to, you know, I'm actually wearing the shirt right now. You know, I went to Total Archery Challenge and... You know, everyone, you go there to shoot and you go there to have a good time and, and shoot a 3D tournament. I probably spent half of my time just sitting and talking with folks. Like, yeah. I went and, you know, shot the courses and stuff, but 90% of my, you know, probably, eh, not 90, but like 60, 70% of my purpose for going there was to hang out and meet people and talk with them and, and make contacts. The, and that's exactly what you have to do. And then, especially getting into it, you know, um, that's huge. I tell people all the time go to your, Definitely, if you have uh, some kind of trade show or anything in your city, and you're not, even if it's out of the out of your state, you know, drive to it. Go meet people. Go talk. Like, tell them what you're. Because in the beginning, I was so scared. I'm like, I'm gonna sell these guys on a hope, a dream, pretty much. Hey, I swear. Like when I was trying to get a TV show spot, <laughs> I swear I'm gonna have a good TV show. I don't have one yet, but I swear it's like it was just scary to tell. Like, how are you gonna go to like a huge company and, and they have 
Michael Waddell as their lead. <laughs> I, um, I promise I can. Pro- I think I can be. Uh, oh man! So, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of listen to what you're what you're selling. Yeah. You're not even selling yourself on it right now. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh man! <laughs> but that's where you know. In a little bit of, I feel like I've I've actually done some some good work. I mean, I've taught myself a lot. And, I put some good content out there for people and they start to enjoy it. And, you know, it's just, it's been a long road, but it's, it's been awesome. You know, I got to do some really cool things and re- meet a lot of really cool people, you know? And like I told you, my goal was to be on monster bucks and I was on it three years ago. I've been, I've been on monster bucks now like four or five times. And I'm like the first one I have, I have it over here somewhere. I'm like, you know, I have a DVD of one. I'm on one of these, you know, I'm on the Monster Bowl and a Monster Bulls one, or Monster Buck and a Monster Bull. So, like, uh, so do you have, do they have like volume numbers or like what's the if if people wanted to go hunt those down, which ones which ones should they be looking for? Oh man, I, it's Monster Bucks twenty two, I believe. It was 2014. It's like volume. I can't remember if it's one or two. I'm not. They sent me them when I'm in it, but I don't remember exactly. Uh, no worries. I'll see if I'll see if I can look it up and post those up on uh, the show notes page. So who, uh, you know, as you started all of this and you know you're meeting all these people, you know, kind of because I kind of feel like you're all, you know, you grew up as a fan of the outdoor industry. You know, you're you're not mm-hmm. just you know you're not just somebody that kind of ended up in it, but you, you did grow up with that perspective of you just, you love the outdoor industry. You know, you, you thought all the, all this stuff was really cool. And all these people were cool. Who would you say, put you on the spot here. Who would you say is like the coolest person? Like the one person you're like, I can't believe I finally met so-and-so who would, who would that person be? You know, you're big, you know, there's different. It's like, um, you know, obviously I feel like one of the founders of the outdoors is like, Bill Jordan and being part of Realtree now is just like a huge accomplishment. It's one of my best accomplishments I feel like in my life, you know, for my hunting, um, you know, my hunting point of view, but you know, him and David Blanton had to be up there, but you know, the coolest personality obviously on t- he's like TV gold is obviously, you know, Michael Waddell, you know, I met with yeah. him and I I've, actually, he's been in camp with me. I haven't hunted with him, but you know, I got to go to an event with Realtree put on for all their, all their, all their guys and, um, got to shoot bows. We had a little 3d target deal, you know, and Waddell's hosting it. It was same with Blanton and Jordan, Bill Jordan, and you had T-Bone and Munson and, you know, all the Heartland bow hunter guys and everybody's out there and I'm shooting a bow and I'm, I don't have a T I'm like the only guy there who really doesn't have a TV show. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I'm on stuff. I'm like, this is crazy. So I have to shoot a archery competition in front of, all these guys I idolize, right? <laughs> no pressure, man. Yeah, I swear. I it was. I don't know what was worse. Like, I just killed the biggest buck of my life, like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, and I just killed that elk on public land. Like, I was shaking just as bad shooting in front of all those guys as I was in that elk. <laughs> and I'm like trying to grab my arrows, trying to knock them, and it was a timed event. It was five shots, and I'm up against T Bone, which is one of the best shots in the in the game. And oh, I almost snuck it off. Tebow, it was crazy when Tebow and I were up. We had the two highest scores of the whole competition. Nice. And he beat one point. And I was like, oh, so close. But, yeah, I got down to the semifinals with those guys. It was like 40 of us. And I was just like, 
oh my, I just, I'm, it was like surreal feeling, you know, you're like, dude, I'm with all these guys with all these TV shows that I've looked up to that are awesome hunters and all these people, because Real Trees is like a family and there's a lot, they don't really just choose, pick and choose anybody, you kind of have to, because they're more of like a, a Christian company or, you know, you know, into like religion and stuff like that. So they kind of want the best of the best type of role models. And all, so all these guys are awesome people. Uh, and I'm just sitting there like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, I don't know. I, just, I, don't know. I was just so nervous and ended up doing well. But like I said, I think, you know, the Jordan family and, um, you know, Blanton and stuff, some of the guys that I've always watched growing up, you know, those are probably the guys that, I don't know. Those, those are my guys. <laughs> That's really cool, man. That's super cool. Um, so, so I have to say, you know, you've been talking a, a bit about alligator hunting and that's one thing that's always been on my bucket list, man. It's, it's one of those things like, I don't know what it was, but I, you know, I was, uh, I was out at this work event and I don't have, I don't have TV, you know, I have like Netflix and, and Amazon and that's about it. Like I don't watch any broadcast TV. So every so often, like when I'm staying somewhere and they've got, I, I get sucked into the the outdoor reality TV void. Yeah. Um, like not even, not even like the super good stuff, but like I ended up binge watching uh, like swamp people for, mm-hmm. for probably like four or five, six hours, whatever it was. And like, I was like a little kid watching Sunday morning cartoons. Like I was laying out on the couch with like my, my chin in my, in my hands. And like, <laughs> it was so bad. My boss, my boss comes walking in. He's like, do I even want to know how long you've been here? I'm like, no, no, nope. you don't. Oh, like, like all the empty wrappers on the side of the bed, and you're like all your oh, drinks seriously. right here. And you're like, <laughs> nope, you don't want to know. Oh, <laughs> uh, but ever since then, man, like you know, they don't. It, 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 they're not like bow hunting alligators or anything in there. But I have always wanted to do that. Like that is just, I don't know. That's like up there with one of those just like badass manly things. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. just like. You know, and it's funny, I'm through all this, I've actually became friends with Jay Paul okay. from Swamp People. So it's cool. And, you know, I, I, I love the guy to death. Um, super cool, like loves hunting and stuff. But I kind of blame them for I, – I used to be able to get as many tags as I wanted. Mm-hmm. I used to put in – I used to bring everybody. Now it's hard for me to draw a tag because so many people are putting in because of the show Swamp People. Yeah, everyone thinks they're like an alligator hunter now, which kind of it hurts and helps at the same time. Like they don't know what they're doing, so they're not going to kill a big one. But I put in all the years, and I've killed. You know, I used to sell alligator hunts, and and I used to trade barter, and I'm like ten foot or bigger to trophy get a gator. You know, my biggest is like twelve six. It's huge, mm-hmm. like giant dinosaur. But it is something that everyone needs to do at least once just to do it. I mean, it's something the mosquitoes are crazy. I mean, you got, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like I've had grown men cause you're in a, I'm in a 10 foot John boat yeah. and you have a 12 foot gator. I've had so many times the gators come up, bite holes in the bottom of the boat. You start taking on water. Like it is an adrenaline rush, like no other <laughs> grown men with their legs shaking, like knees buckling. I'm like, don't worry guys. I got it. I have to do like, I mean, before I go and I hype it all up because they get in the car and I'm 
Like, this is dangerous. Like, you could lose an arm. Like, you have <laughs> safety precautions here. I've got to debrief you on everything that's going to happen and will happen. And, dude, it's it's intense. I have some guys from Kentucky coming, not this weekend, but next weekend. I barter out one of my Kentucky properties. I, I, trade, I trade turkey hunts and gator hunts with them. Became really close friends with me. So that's another thing. People... People in here like, oh, I don't know where to go. How do I go hunt? Meet somebody. Figure out what you have that somebody else wants or that needs or wants to do. That's this. Like, So I take my gators. I take my offshore fishing. I take my Osceolas. And I say, hey, invest a little bit of money you know, if you can. There's also public lands, a lot of good public land turkey hunting here that you can just go do the scout and say, hey, I got these birds. I do the hard work. You let me go deer hunt your property or something. You know, there's so many ways to do it, but they're coming down this next weekend. I, I've got, you know, I haven't gone and done any scouting really, but I kind of know how to do it. I, mm-hmm. I go right behind some, some truck and, and kill a big gator right behind them because they don't, just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I get to get in the gator woods, the gator woods, <laughs> your land, the gator swamp, the actually. gator swamps. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Gator, Gator Country. We'll just we'll just leave it leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. I get to go into the Gator Country um, next weekend and it's be cool. We got to try to kill two gators and like I said, over two over ten. But some we'll, we got to do. Hopefully, we'll, we'll do in a couple of years. We'll come down if I can get the tags. I got put in for probably twenty and I, I got one. So mm-hmm. it's just getting super tough. And like I said, I used to I used to get ten to twelve. And I just, I just have to turn tags back in. Yeah. Um, this year and the lat the previous years it's been super hard to get. Um, but yeah, we'll be, we'll have to do it one year out there and do a podcast right right out on actually in the game in, in the boat. <laughs> the boat. All right, here we go. This is what we're about to do. We'll have to edit the part out where I'm screaming like a girl, probably. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It's right. been intense. I've had some funny. I've fallen in the water on top of the gator after a bang after they bang stick after we bang sticked it um, <laughs> shoot man and a lot of times they don't die after the first one they're crazy stuff i i had stories i could go on for stories for hours about how crazy alligator hunting is and how strong and how you know just oh. well i can i would you know i can only imagine i was just i was out uh couple months ago with some buddies and we were doing uh, some bow fishing uh in uh, South Louisiana mm-hmm. and uh, actually did a podcast about it. But uh, one of them arrowed a, an alligator gar, a five foot alligator gar. Mm-hmm. And we had to put two more arrows in that before you could get it in. And, you know, had to pull out the 22 to before it would stop thrashing. And like, if that thing was that tough, I could only imagine like a, a full sized alligator, how, how much abuse one of those suckers could take before it goes down. Well, their whole back, their scoots on their back, it's all, it's all, like, I mean, their skin's like the strongest leather you've ever s- seen. And then they have bone on top. It's like an armored plate on their whole back. Yeah. Well, so you have to try to harpoon them. You got to get a, a snag hook in them. You got to have a harpoon in them. You got to try to bang stick them in the right spot. I've I've had two, three, seven bullets in a gator. And it was torrential downpour, lightning and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, these gators are dead. Let's just, it's, cr- I mean, it's thunderstorm from all hell get back to my buddy's house he has this fence in the backyard we throw the gators in the backyard we're like all right we'll come back in the morning and get them <laughs> oh, no. the gators that we had 357 bullets in the back of their head were in the swimming pool <laughs> alive 
like oh shoot like the man in her head who had like just healed this was crazy i'm like how is this possible so of course i have to jump in the water with, with goggles on and go try to wrestle these alligators are now f- alive i mean they're back to health 100 <laughs> percent i had some videos somewhere and they they like destroy me i mean and not knowing we taped their mouth because you have to tape their mouths yeah so mouths are taped but so the, uh, we had a nine and a half footer that was missing his front legs. They're they're like they're mean. They'll eat each other and stuff. But one had had his arm bit off, so he was a little bit easier to work with. But the other one was t- eleven foot, and I'm going down there and I'm like messing with them, trying to get them up, like trying to figure out how to do this. And I'm in his environment. I'm in the water. Yeah. So I go down there and I grab his mouth at one time, and I, I realize he's been on the bottom of the pool rubbing the tape. The tape was barely oh, no. by like a tiny like like a fraction like a quarter not even a half like a quarter of an inch was the only thing holding this gator's mouth closed now because the tape had worn off oh no <laughs> oh gosh what do i do i'm freaking out so i finally end up like figuring a way i grabbed his front leg and his back leg and he swam in the circles and i got him over to the shallow end kind of and kind of like swung him up and my buddy kind of grabs and pulls him in and when i'm getting out of the water he ends up thrashing his tail and his tail is the strongest part it's like i mean it's solid oh, yeah. like and he whips me so hard with his tail knocks the breath out of me about cracks a rib i had a huge black and blue mark on my whole side of my the alligator just destroyed my life oh <laughs> <laughs> but it was a wild it was a wild story but we end up you know end up getting a knife in their spine and that's the only really way you can get them to kill them <laughs> until it goes wolverine on you again and like pushes the knife out and like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly jeez <laughs> uh that that alligator little do you know is that alligator has been around since uh since before world war Two. so <laughs> yeah yeah they stay they grow i think a foot in a year until they hit six feet or something and then it's like and less than an inch. So, I mean, a 12 footer, some of them say over a hundred years old and stuff like that. And just like, wild, the things that he's seen. And he's, that's, that's crazy to think like, you know, I kind of joke about that, but it's, it's serious. It's these things have been around. They're friggin' dinosaurs, basically. Yeah. You know, they're oh, yeah. about as close as we get. Um, oh man, yeah. that's just gnarly, man. That's a super bucket list thing right there. I have yeah. a, yeah, it's it's a bummer that it's harder to get tags now though, because I I've, you're you're not the first person that's told me that that they used to you know go all the time. Just it was wasn't a big deal, you know. They'd have be turning back in tags, and now uh, TV will do that, man. Yep. Well, they had I don't know how many years ago, but alligator, you couldn't hunt alligators in Florida anymore. They were almost they kind of did a, put a hurting on them, and you know they came back so fast because there's no predators and there's no nobody kill i mean and then there was there came back millions and millions i mean i can take you to a spot i've glassed and i've shined at night and there'd be three four hundred gators in a hundred two hundred yard stretch Jeez. and it's like how now how how do they all feed like that's why some of them are super skinny only the, the strong kind of survive type of deal um but yeah it's they need to get more tags in some of these little units that i'm hunting in but I'm surprised they don't do it like they do some tags where 
there's there's basically a a an allotment of a certain amount that can be killed like as many people as they as want can get tags but you know you have to check in every day or whatever on uh on how many have been taken um kind of like they do for bears in California yeah once they get that quota then they then they shut it off yeah it's a kill quota not so much a tag quota that seems like that seems like it might be a good way to to manage that but you know, I obviously have no say in anything anywhere. So, because <laughs> it seems like with the popularity of it, everyone's buying tags. But I'm curious. I'm curious to see what the success ratio is for for something like that. Well, that's the thing here. It's what's well, problem is the size. The size limit is. I mean, people are killing six foot gators and six foot gators a year old or young, and it'll come right to you, and, not, and it's not scared and. Not you know they're so easy to kill. So now I'm seeing more of the the you know the weekend warrior I call them or or whatever that's going out it's killing so many small gators. Or mm. when there was only a few of us that I would see out there hunting, we all knew each other and the game wardens all knew us and and we were kind of not just filling tags. I never killed a gator under nine foot, you know, and I'm like, dang, I was a nine footer, which <laughs> is a big gator. Seeing so many on because you got to you know every time you you have to log in and out and you see who's killed what and you know there's so many six foot gators seven foot gators that I've, i'm like oh my gosh and they're happy to kill them but still it's like that's a young gator and all you're doing is these guys are don't know how to hunt so all they're doing is you know educating the big ones for me and now it's making it a little bit harder for me to kill the big ones yeah so what's the what's the size limit for gators like what's the smallest you're allowed to take or is there one yeah, it's um, I think it's like six inches from its nose to its eyes, which makes it about a six foot gator. I think that's what it is. Don't quote me on it. I'm not 100 percent sure because I'll never kill one, so I'm not really. I don't, you know, my gators are uh, the smallest gator I'll ever kill is nine foot, and it's well over legal limit. So I don't yeah. know exactly off the top of my head. That's a uh, that's an interesting. Is that just more? Because sometimes what their their tails get damaged or something, so you can't measure them tip to tail. Like, do you know what the reasoning is behind that? Yeah, um, I think because it's hard. A lot of times, that's all you see on a gator is his face. Oh, I guess yeah. Thing out of the water, so you got to try to like ballpark it. Like, hey, and a few years ago, you weren't allowed to see where I hunt. It's not. It's all public land. You have to have a, a string attached to the gator somehow. Because they sink if you shoot them. You're not allowed to just shoot one with a gun. I gotcha. So so you cast on one, you hook him, you get him to the boat, and he's not sized. You weren't allowed to cut him off before. It's like nuisance. You know, you're like pestering the wildlife or whatever they would caught, so they didn't want you. But now that they realize, like, a lot of people kind of did make mistakes or, or hook small gators and they didn't want to kill them, you know, didn't want them to kill small gators or something. So now you know now you're allowed to cut them off but yeah i'm pretty sure that's that's why and i've also had i've had a guy a doctor who didn't want to kill one that i had hooked on those would have been well over 10 foot but he was missing about a foot of his tail because i ate another alligator had eaten it all oh so i guess yeah de hooked this thing while he's next to the boat he bites <laughs> down puts four holes in my boat and it's like a geyser coming into the water i'm like oh my gosh i have two doctors on my boat <laughs> don't know how to hunt they're already already freaking out and i'm like hey i'm gonna need one of you guys to plug these holes 
in this boat with your fingers, and I'm going to oar as fast as I can back to land so we don't sink because I was a mile from the bank, and we had passed probably a dozen gators all from eight to ten. <laughs> foot we're going for this real big one. I'm like, we're, we're done if we sink right now. So you guys are going to have to do this, and I'm going to have to row as fast as I can. And I was worn out. I'm getting us just back. I'm like, I can't have these guys die. I'm rowing. I'm rowing. I'm rowing. <laughs> get back to land. And my one friend that, that was his, his like some some people that he knew was he was freaking because all he didn't see one of the doctors because he was laying in the boat. Oh, plugging the holes. People. They're coming back. And he's like, oh my gosh, am I going to call? And I, what's going on? But when we got closer, he, he realized that he was laying down plugging holes in the boat because we were taking on water. <laughs> So note to self, if I, if I ever go gator hunting with you, bring, bring along something to plug holes. <laughs> yeah, or something. yeah, my buddy is borrowing my John boat right now. And I talked to him yesterday. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to need my, my boat. You know, I got some guys coming in town and he's like, uh, all right, well, I just, I just finished fixing the holes yesterday. Yeah. So when he went out last week, he had other gators bite holes in the boat. It's like, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. Like that. It's going to happen. <laughs> There's this weird stuff I saw, and I I killed me that I didn't bookmark it. I I might have it saved somewhere, but it's like it's like a roll of tape almost, and it's kind of kind of has the same effect as like uh, when you you know cast your arm or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like supposed to be as strong as steel, and they were showing like uh, they like snapped the head off of a a sledgehammer, and they took this stuff and they wrap it around, and you get it wet. And once it gets wet, it hardens as, as like strong, supposedly, you know, it's like steel tape or something, you know, it was like one of those Facebook ads you come across and they're showing their, they'll like snap the head off of it, wrap it up, pour water on it. It hardens. And then they're sitting there and they're like breaking concrete with it. I'm like, Hmm, (laughs) if that really worked. That's awesome. Like if that's legit, it's I'm buying some of that. That's what you say. You know, you're like, definitely. And I, I, you know, it was one of those things like I always meant to look up and I never ended up doing it now that, you know, this was like months ago because I was thinking like, crap, you know, you, you snap some, you know, you snap a, a tent pole or a trekking pole or something like that. How nice would that be? You know, just wrap that up. But well, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, man, like if it's close to like the edge of the boat, like right under the water line there, you just slap some of that on and yeah, see how that that's not a bad uh, <laughs> repair there. I'd have to see how watertight it is, though. But uh, yeah, nothing well, I else. Think any, anything would help at that point. We've used gum. We've used stuff like anything just to slow it down a little bit. You know. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, so you were you were mentioning a little bit about uh, the recent hunts you came back from. Uh, you went out uh, chasing some muleys and chasing some uh, elk as well. Yeah, no, it was a whitetail. Oh, it was a whitetail. Okay, okay, whitetail. I stand corrected. Uh, so you went chasing elk and whitetail recently. Uh, tell me a little bit about those trips, how those went. All right. So pretty sure everyone's familiar about the storm that just came and, and did some damage to Florida. So Irma was, I was in the direct path of Irma. 
So I'm like, oh gosh, I've been training for months for this elk hunt. I had this storm coming. There's a good chance if I stick this storm out, I can't leave. There's no power stuff. Like they put you on, you, you know, a curfew on you. They, they kind of don't allow you to drive anywhere because there's no traffic lights. There's things just, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like freaking out now. The storm's coming. I'm like, all right. I boarded up my shop, got my house, the house situated. I'm like, all right, well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving early for my elk hunt because I don't want to get stranded here and not go on my elk hunt. I got plenty of people here that can take over and make sure everything's okay. So I left a few days before, which was insane because I, it took me three hours just to find a gas station that had fuel. Oh, geez. And it had 100 gallons left when I got there. So I topped off. This was at 1.30 at night. And I, I'm just, I ordered everything, got all my hunting stuff together, and I hit the road. It was crazy because they were evacuating the keys at the moment. So I'm driving, and there's all these traffic. I mean, dead stop traffic at some points. And I'm like, this is insane. You'd pull over. There'd be there's service stations in the middle of the highway on the turnpike, and there'd be thousands of cars waiting to try to get fuel. So it's causing, and they're into the fast lane. So it's uh. causing slow down. So there's people sleeping on the side of the road. They've been setting their, they've been getting their houses boarded up in the keys, got their whole family and driving. I was seeing girls driving with their kids and they couldn't even keep it in their lanes because it was just, you could tell they were so worn out. They're trying to get away and ugh, it was bad. I had to drive off the highway like 20 miles just to find a gas station that had fuel and there would be lines at 3 a.m. You know, it's like, it was crazy. So whatever, I get, I get out of that mess and I get to Kansas and my buddy in Nebraska is like, dude, I have, you have a few days to kill. I have this really big deer in the daylight, unpressured, eating alfalfa. Do you want to come like hunt him? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a six and a half hour drive from Kansas City or like Kansas City area where my buddy lives, one of my best friends and I'm going elk hunting with to Nebraska to the area I'm hunting. I get there and sure enough, first afternoon, I see a buck comes out and he's giant. I'm like, oh my gosh, but he's 80 yards as close as you get. A bunch of other deer in the, in the, in the alfalfa field. Well, when you're hunting a food plot like that, it's really hard to hunt mornings because you just bust the deer out because they, they're all around it all night, all morning. Only time to slip in there is in the afternoon around like, two or three o'clock when nothing's in there because it's so hot early season hunting. So the next evening I go there, he doesn't show up, but a really nice buck shows up that I, I ended up passing on really tough decisions. You know, it was a 10 point that's close to like 150. I would shoot this deer every single day of my life, but I knew it was there. So, <laughs> um, the next day, third night, a deer comes out and it comes out early. He didn't show up the day before, so I'm all worried. I'm like, did I blow this deer out? I'm like, uh. Next day, he comes out, and he's just mowing down alfalfa for like – he comes out with at least like 30 minutes of shooting light left, and he has no – he's not worried. It's crazy. Like hunting early season deer, if you can find them unpressured, and I made sure my wind was right every time. Like it's just slipped in and out with, you know, the right tactics and – he just had his head down, just eating alfalfa, eating alfalfa. But he never would come 
into range because I was hunting this little tree line and the alfalfa field was big. It was 200 yards wide by, you know, 100 yards long. And he started working his way to this, like, tree row where a car, it was, like, the pretty close is, like, dirt road in this little farm town. And a car kind of went by and kind of pushed that deer my way. And he kind of came right at last light, man. I stuck him like about 30 yards and it was like 180 inch white tail giant my biggest i mean i'm not huge into trophy hunting like a mature i want to hunt the most mature deer on the property and mature deer that's when you start to get numbers on score as it's mature you know so this deer ends up being the biggest deer i ever killed with my bow about 180 inches with a little drop time just i mean out it was it was crazy so that's my first hunt of the year and I'm shooting this giant white tail and I'm like, well, now it's time to go elk hunting. <laughs> so I drive back to Kansas city, which all my friends are like, why are you driving back to Kansas city? You're like almost to Colorado. I'm like, well, I got to go with a couple of buddies, you know, are going. Yeah. The so we, I had like a day or two there. I set some, I have a Kansas lease that I lease property for deer hunting and went and like, put my corn out, check my cameras, made sure a couple stands were good. And we hauled butt to Colorado and, you know, not, not ever doing a backcountry tent backpacking tent deal with over the counter tag. I'm like, all right, it's time to separate the men from the boys. You know, this is a big, this is the big <laughs> thing to get into the eight, the success rates, 8% with a bow cow or bull, you know? So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, let's, let, let's go do it. And, uh, shoot man from from day one you know we kind of went to some couple new areas we searched google maps trying to find you know those little benches or those little open you know like just look for areas that looked good on that and then hope hopefully wasn't somebody on it and we try to get away from trailheads and try to do that stuff well you know heard a lot of bulls my buddies we kind of like split up a little bit because I didn't want us to be all in one spot because I thought our odds, if we can find one hot bull and we get on them, okay, then we'll kind of like team up and go try to get it. But let's spread out first. Let's try to find some bulls instead of sitting. Last year they went in an area, just one area, and put all their kind of eggs in one basket and didn't really get into a bull until the last day they heard one. And like this year we were more mobile and we are walking further, but, you know, we were able to kind of – see more area and kind of listen and hear more bulls and figure out which ones we can get on and which ones we couldn't. So first couple of days, I think on the third day, my buddies had a bull come in within 40 yards and just never really gave them that opportunity that they, they could take a shot on. And, uh, I think on like the sixth day or something, I was working this, I had a bull, the same bull I hunted like I think three or four days. He was, the first day I got up to this this flat top that he was on, it was um, he kind of he was screaming and he wanted to come but he just never would commit and he stayed about eighty yards in the spruce but I knew he was right there and it was just like he was so close where the bugles were rattling right your chest and you're like come on please there you're right just praying that he would commit <laughs> and just take those steps and just never would so uh. next evening I never saw the bull that morning the next evening I went out same spot and it was it hailed on us it was raining hailing sleeting and we get close 
to the spot I saw him in up on this ridge, up way up tall and some and a couple little like openings, you know, I seen I seen this bull and he was with six cows and I was like, Wow, this is a good bull. I'm gonna be hunting this bull. <laughs> <laughs> um he kinda thought he was gonna make his way down to us, um, but he never actually did. He stayed up top and kinda just side skirted the mountain. But next morning I go in there by myself because my buddies were going to go try to hunt that bull that they had that encounter with. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go hunt by myself. I got within hundred yards, three times this bull and he just wouldn't commit. He just wouldn't leave. You could like chase in a, a turkey that's leaving, walking away. It's so hard to chase a bull. He, I was just always behind the cows were just a little bit in front and working. I didn't know where, which way they were going. So I was kind of mm. trying to get in close. I was raking trees, trying to sound like a bull, like not even really bugling, just kind of like raking a tree. Like he's like, Oh, what is that? I want him to just kind of turn around and maybe come look, but he never did. And I'm not the best elk hunter. I just heard podcasts and I heard it. I'm like, I'm going to try this. <laughs> um, so, oh, uh, he went up and I thought I heard him. I thought I knew where he's been. And he bugles like a hundred times every morning. And I'm like, God, he's with these cows and I hunted him that evening thinking he was going to come down where he bed, but I guess he crested the mountain and went to the other side. And I was like, all right, well, I'll let this bull I hunted him like three or four days. I'm going to let him rest. I let him rest, and I come back like two days later with my buddy. Go kind of go up to where he left, and got up in there, and he bugled. We cut the distance to this little ravine, and the rest was history. He came in on a string, straight to thirty yards, put an arrow in him, like one lunged him, kind of because he was cornered in the spruce. It's like it's not like it's so thick, and it's just it's so hard to get shot opportunities after these elk, like ethical shot opportunities. So got a shot and I thought I could get, but I ended up getting, I think like one long and ended up bumping, bumping him like two hours later, only a hundred yards from where he was. I thought I gave him enough time and then rested a little, another four or five hours and found him bedded up again and got another arrow in him. And he ran and jumped off a cliff. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah. He ran and committed suicide jumped off the cliff, broke his rack off. And then we had to quarter him up on a straight vert. Dude, like straight, dec- like it was like straight vert, like like I don't even know what degrees. And we had it was the most sketchy thing. I had to time the tree so he didn't slide down. Rocks were sliding when we were trying to. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, like it was insane. But only thing was holding them up. And after he did his fall, he one spruce tree. His horns were hanging, kind of like just wedged into this tree a little bit, and it was hanging. I mean, it was his body was pretty much hanging down, and his head was holding him up. Dude, it was nuts. Oh, that's crazy. We, we finally we got him kind of moved a little bit with a bunch of paracord and stuff. And <sighs> packing that meat straight down was sketchy too, man. I had 90 pounds. Like I had a, I don't know, I had my bow, my a hind quarter in my back. And then I would try to be He-Man and carry his his horn, you know, his head and horn on one side of his rack, which is all lopsided because one side was broken. So I only had one side really to hold it. And I'm, I didn't train enough. I, dude, yeah. <laughs> we got on. So I got on the mountain 5 a.m. I think or 430. Got to the spot. Got back to the truck at 3 a.m. So it was like a huh. it was an all day deal on the mountain. Just like but for me, you know, I'm not used to that in that experience. And it was insane. I know a lot of those those guys in the Midwest are probably like, oh, that's that's typical. But I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to train harder. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be you know, There's no – but my shins are all, I mean, destroyed from falling. And, you know, it's just 
having that weight on your pack with no trekking poles going down. Oh, you didn't I, even have you didn't have poles, man. No. Oh, dude, that's the one thing. Like, I was super sketchy about carrying, but I'm like, I'm like, really? But then the second I started using them on hikes, oh gosh, I wouldn't trade those for anything in the world. I brought them, but I didn't have them. Like, I'm like, <laughs> bring them with me. And we're all like, oh my gosh, if we had trekking poles right now, if we had trekking poles, I'm like, yeah, don't don't even bring it up right now because we would go. I mean, I was so worn out, my hips hurt, and, and I'm just not used to it, you know. And it's something that it's crazy. I would never, I wouldn't change a single thing about the whole hunt, but I just need to be more prepared next year for things like that. You know what? You do things the hard way. Like everyone knows at this point, I did things the hard way myself. Um, but it'll one, it'll give you uh, the most badass story in the world. Um, freaking suicidal elk and quartering it on on a sheer drop and yeah. all of oh. that. But then, you know, it's you look back and heck, packing out any other elk is going to be a lot easier from now on. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get the pick. It was just like mentally. It was like an emotional roller coaster ride because you know I bumped the elk the one time and then it falls off. It was just like, and then it's night and I'm work, we're trying to walk down this rock cliff, pretty much. I mean, so scared. I mean, we all fell. There was no way to not fall and slide, and like there was no other way. Like where he, where he put, he could not have put himself in a worse position. <laughs> and I was like, oh well, we got to, we got to. However long it takes us, as long as we can be careful and not try to rush. Mm-hmm. We just got to, we just got to do it. And, oh man, when I got off that street cliff and it was just, you know, a regular flat, like hike now downhill and, oh man, <laughs> it was wild. So aside from, uh, aside from training harder <laughs> next year, what would you look at? What would you say you learned that you would, uh, that you could apply to, uh, your next backcountry hunt. What what what's a learning or a takeaway from this hunt uh, other than the training that you think you would uh, you would be able to apply to your next backcountry hunt? Oh, so many. Um, you know, definitely better rain rain gear. Um, you know, I definitely need to bring another pair of boots just because because we weren't we went they went backcountry last year where they were nowhere near. Well, we were kind of near a trail by the truck kind of backpacked. We didn't think we were going to, we thought we were going to go set up base camp and, and hunt from there, but we decided against it and which worked out better for us to be a little more mobile, um, you know, hike more in a day. So I could have brought more stuff and I brought, I, didn't, I only brought one pair of boots and I hiked in wet boots every single day, wet clothes because our tent the condensation builds inside and it just mm-hmm. becomes wet the last, the second to last night, it poured on us, downpour, torrential, like lightning, thunderstorm. And that condensation became a mister inside. And it just, all night, I'm getting, like, wet because I'm getting rained on. Like, like you know, it's, like, oh, yeah. drizzling on me all night. And it's cold. And I'm like, this is miserable. And then all my clothes were wet. And so it's, like, maybe being a little bit more prepared in that sense of bringing, since if we're going to do it that way bringing a box that I can put my stuff in that's waterproof, you know, just the clothes. And I put a lot of my, my clothes inside my sleeping bag, you know, to kind of try to keep them warm and keep them, you know, cool, but you can only fit so much. And, um, 
other than training, you know, maybe I need to, I think I'm, I need to get a little better at calling for sure. Um, you know, being out there listening, they do a lot more than just bugle and you're kind of learning why they're making the noise they're making and what just becoming a little more familiar with elk. Not, you know, everything comes by experience, obviously, like all these guys experience it, but listening a little more, learning a little more, maybe doing a little more research on the actual elk. If you, uh, if you get a chance, check out uh, the episode of the Rich Outdoors podcast where he talks with uh, Paul Medell, the elk nut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a three-hour podcast, and you'll but you'll want to listen to it like four times and and take notes. Yeah, he just goes through. I mean, if you want to really learn the the details about calling and get probably more info than you will ever use. Yeah. It, it's all there. And even just, and downloading, uh, I think for four ninety nine you can download the elk nut app, uh, off the, the iTunes or Google play store. Mm-hmm. And it just has all of those tips and, and like sounds that you can replicate. Like I just, I, on my drive to Idaho, like, uh, I would alternate, I'd listen to a podcast and then I'd plug in the elk nut app and I'd sit and I'd practice my bugles along with that thing. You can just like set it to keep playing them. And so I'd re- try and replicate those. And yeah, exactly. um, yeah, if you want to learn more about, uh, more about bugling and, and elk calling, that's like, that's super legit. Um, super legit to check out. And I, I did a little bit on the way, but I think I needed, I should have made that more of a priority to, not be the weak link in the team of calling, you know, uh, I gotcha. You know, like I can sound like a cow. I can sound like a bull, but it's like that pressured bull when you're hunting a bunch of, you got to hunt hunters and elk in public land. So you're like, wow, well, if I was a better caller, I feel like that would just give me a little bit better edge, you know, give me that. And mm-hmm. maybe that be a little better, even though we were successful and we beat the odds and we did a great job. Um, I like to next year. I really like to see if we can get two out of the group. You know, nice. We had three guys eat tag sandwiches and or tag soup, and you know, I'd like to see that not happen next year. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you should. Uh, you know what I do? I I have like for some reason I have like nine different bugle tubes. Um, I I would just end up like I'd forget one somewhere and I'd want to practice, and so I like I'd buy another one at some expo or I'd win one through something or. I'd, so I've got this whole stack of bugle tubes. So I always have like one or two in the car. And then I have like, I have these like little hat clips for diaphragm calls. And I have several diaphragm calls like attached to my visor in my car. And then there's like some like yeah. sitting in the dash. And then there's like one in a little baggie in the, in the tray down here. And so just whenever I'm, whenever I'm in the car, I'll, I'll see them and it'll be that reminder. And I'll be like, okay. Yeah. I'll turn down the music and uh, or I'll turn down the podcast and I'll spend, you know, half an hour as I'm sitting in traffic, uh, just look like I'm a crazy person in the car to everyone say, in Los yeah, Angeles. In LA, in LA, people are like, what on earth is that guy doing? Yeah. Same with mine. Same with me. I had those Elkhorns in the back of my truck and people are like, what? They look at me all weird. And then a lot of like... In, in the Midwest, people are like, oh, where'd you get that elk? Blah, blah, blah. And I got the Florida people are like, that stinks. What is that? Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. It's just a replica. Yeah. <laughs> so the Florida folks, super just not used to the, the big game, like the elk hunting, anything like that? Down here, you know, you'll get your, your you have a, I mean, you have hunters, very small population 
a lot more fishermen. They wanted to hunt, but they just don't know how or where to go because I'm, like I said, I'm like two hours from hunting. You know, you can hunt. Mm-hmm. My hunting lease that we have here is about two hours away. Um, but I mean, and then you have a lot of just people that look when I tell them I'm a hunter, or I meet a girl, you know, or something that's like, wait, you hunt? I'm like, yep. I mean, I don't, I don't hide it at all. I won't, I won't ever be that guy, but it's a lot of people look at me weird or try to under, don't understand. And I tell and a lot of people are just so uneducated when it comes to it because like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I do this. And they have, they have leather purses and they, and they don't realize how many like con- about the conservation and they don't do anything towards it. And we're the only people that actually do do anything for conservation and how many deer government has to kill a year and how, you know, it's just like, you'd start to tell these people down here and they're like, Oh, well, okay. I didn't understand. I didn't know that. Like, okay, it makes sense now. I'm not going to do it, but I don't, I'm not going to bash you for doing it now. And I've changed a lot yeah. of people down here that just didn't know, you know, that are okay with it, but they would never, like I said, they would never do it, but they kind of are open up to it. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, they say it's it's a very small percentage of the population that hunts, and it's, you know, equally as small of a percentage of the population that is just, like, vehemently anti-hunting, you know, like, like you'll never change their mind, but that majority of the population that's in the middle, that's the, that's the swing right there. You know, that's how, you know, however we can sway those, those hearts and minds, that's how, that's what's going to really affect, you know, especially access to public lands and hunting and all of that. And so, you know, they may never go out and hunt. They, you know, they may be more than happy to sit and, you know, get their McDonald's or their steaks from Walmart or whatever it is. But as long as you can show them that positive side of hunting, they're, they're not going to look at it and be like, okay, well, I need to remove this from, uh, from society. You know, they're going to be like, okay, oh, that's right. That, that one guy was really cool. You know what? I understand that. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to whatever vote. Yes. I like, I'm going to, I'm going to vote to keep this right for people. That's the thing. The people that are on the fence, and I feel like there's so many people in South Florida that are on that fence that are, yeah, there's antis, but then there's the people that just aren't, they don't carry their way and they just don't, because they don't know. And if it comes to a, a vote or something, they're just going to be like, I don't care what's going to sway their vote. But if we can just like educate them and the amount of money that we put into like conservation and the outdoors and keeping, making sure we do keep these herds. It's like, then they might just be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I go for that. And, you know, I think as as hunters, we just need to do a better job at educating those people when we're out and just, instead of just like, you know, give them the cold shoulder or whatever, like maybe just sit down and educate them just for a minute if we can. And I've, cause I've done it. I've changed a lot of people's minds down here. Just, just by, you know, that little bit of conversation 
and just talking and being open with them and telling them exactly how I feel and not pushing it on them, but kind of like hearing their, hearing what they have to say and then kind of like, okay, well, here's my rebuttal or whatever you want to say towards that. And then 90% of the time they're like, makes sense. All right. Well, I get it now, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, we're always walking a fence, you know, it only is going to take us one generation or whatever, you know, it doesn't take that long for us to lose uh, a lot of what we love to do. So yeah, yeah. Got to work to protect it and got to be a uh, stand up with uh, a lot of the people that may initially, we may initially not want to have those conversations with. I know I get lazy at times. Um, you know, I, somebody will ask me, you know what I'm doing or uh, ask me questions about it and I'll, I'll just want to kind of play it off and, and move to a new topic. But then I have to remind myself, uh, it's my responsibility to, to educate these people and to show them the positive side of it also. Yeah, exactly. And you know, how many people I've actually, you know, taken or people that reach out to me are like, man, you know, I never really wanted to hunt, but I see what you're doing and I want to go now or, or girls that are like, Hey, you know, I'm not into like, I don't really want to kill anything, but I want to, I want to learn to shoot a bow or it looks fun or I want to do these things. And, so we just we just need to get more people out there, and if we get the hundred people just shooting a bow, they realize, you know, they may not want to kill anything, they may not hunt, but they might tell their friends about, hey, you know, shooting a bow is really fun, and this is why they do it, and this is, you know, because we're with them, and then we educate them, and then they educate their friends, and then it's just like a snowball effect. Maybe you know, more people get in the outdoors, like more girls now are getting involved, which is awesome. There's a there's a fine line between the girls that guns up and then actually hunt like and i know a few that are really awesome and really good hunters and fishermen fisherwomen and you know it's just really cool to see uh, the growth in the outdoor industry you know absolutely and so speaking of getting people out into the outdoors what advice would you have for someone that that's just getting into hunting they want to get into it maybe they live in the city but they feel a little bit intimidated, a little bit overwhelmed. They're just like, I want to do this, but there's so much. What uh, what advice or words of wisdom might you have for that person? Um, you know, I'm in a situation where I'm a little bit different than the average. It's a little, some of them say, well, you know, you you grew up in the country, kind of, or your family's from the country. Mine's from someone who's born and raised in the city, and their families have always been in the city, and they just, they want to get into it, and they don't know how. You know, first just become educated in the outdoors, figure out, you know, how to start getting better with a bow or whatever. And then there's so many lease programs and public land just get, you know, hunters are willing to share information, you know, not their secret spots and like an elk hunt, but like public land. Like we have a quota hunt here that you can put in for OK Slew turkey hunting, awesome Osceolos. Anybody that would ever say, hey, where do I, where can I want to go turkey hunting? I will show them where to go. Like there's this Mustang loop area. There's, there's all these, these things. And, and hunters, dude, if you're like, Hey, I really, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to get involved. How do I do it? Reach out to a hunter. They're going to, they're going to help. Like I help whoever, anyone sends me in a message, you know, a DM or an email or anything. I'm always the first to give them as much information as I possibly can. So I think the first thing is don't be scared to reach out. Don't be scared to call people about hunting properties or, or whatever. There's a lot of public land. You know, you need to start small. 
um, I've gotten a lot of guys that have just been fishermen into the hunting world and they've realized, so, wow, I can trade out some hunting, figure out something. If you're doing something that that's cool that you may take, take for granted, somebody in the Midwest, no one, like an alligator is a lizard to me. Alligator is a prehistoric dinosaur to somebody else that would love to do it. So, you know, figure out something. And then if you're into hunting, in the city and you want to be in the outdoor industry, you got to find a niche, become good at it and just keep pushing, like do what we said and go, go to trade shows, network to just mingle, you know, with hunters yeah. and fishermen. Well, and you know, if you, if you want to get into the outdoors, if you're new at this and like whether or not you want to be in the outdoor industry, you can't be shy about it. Like you, you know, you really have to be willing to reach out to people and 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 talk to them. I mean, there's just no other way around it. If you're if you're going to be shy and timid about it the whole time, you're not going to get anywhere. You're really not. Oh, exactly. And I and I get it all. People ask me, dude, can I go hunting with you? Can I go fishing with you? And all this. And it's not. I feel bad because I can't take. I mean, my list is extremely long about people that ask and want to go and do these kind of things. And I don't even get to take my best friends because I'm at, I'm at a point now where I have to go with myself or go with people in the industry because I got to get Garmin stuff, and real tree stuff and Oakley stuff and salt armor stuff. And when I'm fishing, I got to get my rod sponsor stuff and like all these, these things. So it's not like I haven't gone, like gone on a fishing trip or a hunting trip where there's nothing involved. Right. Like I almost have to work. So somehow, you know, yeah. which people don't really get now, but I don't know. There's a lot of people out here that are still that are doing that fun stuff and duck hunting and quotas and you can put in. They just don't know. So you go to your local, F, like ours is FWC, myfwc.com, and look what you can put in for early teal season starting. And then there's duck. There's awesome duck hunting properties. YouTube's huge. Watch YouTube videos. See what people are doing. A lot of these ducks you aren't having to call to because they're. There's so many people out here that they're not coming to calls, but you can fly over, skid in a good area, put some decoys out and, you know, shoot some ducks that are flying over, you know? Yeah. You know, definitely learn hunter safety first, obviously, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) the, um, I think that's something too. People are just don't know how to get the right stuff for hunting, you know, what shotgun to get, what choke tube to get, or, or what bow, how many poundage, what kind of arrows, what broadheads There's so much and it can get overwhelming. But like, Gritty Bowman podcast. They're, they kind of like, they don't really talk to the average guy. They're more of a, like a, dude, this is how we do it. We're hardcore. We're shooting 80 pound bows or target. Like, they don't really give the knowledge to somebody that's just beginning. And because they give so much information, it's almost embarrassing. Because I listen to it, I'm like, whoa, I don't even know all that stuff. Like, holy cow, you know? <laughs> but um, watch this, watch right podcasts for you and watch these hunting shows. And you just got to do a little bit of homework and then it'll all work, work itself out. If you want to hunt bad enough, you're going to find a way to do it. Oh yeah. Just Definitely. don't be scared to, to get out there and call. Like I was, man, I've knocked on doors in, in the Midwest and Hey, who does anyone lease your property? I noticed a lot of deer here. And a lot of times farmers are like, if someone's not leasing it, they're like, they don't like deer because they eat up all their crops. So if you say, Hey, I'll pay you a little bit of money to be able to hunt this each year and get sole rights, they're all about it. They're going to have extra income, and then you're going to help protect the herd or help you know, manage the herd, which they're getting a lot of – all their crops are getting eaten by deer, so 
don't be scared to knock on doors. If you're in the city, you can drive outside the city and go knock on someone's door that's got some farmland. Yep. You know, had success doing that. Well, and you're, you're talking a little bit about, you know, trades too. And it's, it can be more than just like, you know, you have the option to be able to trade like a fishing trip or, or the Osceola hunt or the alligator hunt. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a hunt for hunt trade either to where it, it can be whatever your thing is like, you know, whatever your skill is, whatever, like I am, I do websites and mobile apps and things like that. And I, you know, I'm far from the best expert, but it's something I know how to do. And I know that's a need for a lot of people in this industry. And so I've, I've worked with some people doing, you know, uh, I'm, I'm working on a website right now and, you know, I, in exchange, you know, rather than, you know, try and charge money or whatever, you know, in exchange, I get to go on a cool, you know, Texas, uh, Texas hog hunt and, and yeah. do stuff like that. And it's, it doesn't have to be yeah like a, a hunt for hunt trade or a fishing trip for a hunt trade. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be that exact one-to-one, you know, find value that you can provide for someone. Yep. It's a value. What somebody's always needing something or some kind of help or, or something. So that's exactly, it's exactly it. A website's huge. There's be times a website's it's as important nowadays and it has a huge value to it. And you can say, Hey, I can help with your website, you know, and then you build a relationship with that guy. And a lot of times it's like, you know, you did my, then you find other things. It's like, Hey, one year it might not be your website. It might be, Hey, I'll come and do some, Hey, can I come help on the farm and do some work for a week or a weekend? Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. And then you can come hunt. So then you just build that relationship that first time. Then it's always going to be there you're always going to have that relationship with that guy unless they sell the property or something else happens. And it, and it does. But yeah, find value that you have and everybody has a value. And it's, it's always going to be like a win-win situation with that because for me, like with this web stuff, the, the hunt I, I would get out of this is so much more valuable than, you know, whatever I would be able to charge for doing this small website that, you know, the value of that is so worth so much more. And for that person, you know, they may not be, they probably wouldn't be able to afford like a full, you know, redesign of their website and, and transferring over of all this content. But for them, it's easy enough for them to, to set up this hunt. They've already got a lot of the connections and they've got access to the land and stuff like that. So I think it's, you know, you, you look at it like that and you may think like, Oh, yeah, but the value I provide isn't, you know, what I would charge isn't necessarily how much the the hunt would cost or whatever. You know, you got to think about it like in terms of value, not dollar amounts and, and all of that stuff. It's Exactly. Yeah, it's not always going to be, you know, one-to-one or whatever. You know, it's going to – there's going to be times where you're, you're, you're not – you feel like, I've put a lot more into it, but I mean, the experience is, is worth it. And the knowledge to, you know, going and hunting for a week, I mean, as much, as much as I learn and as much experience and, and all that, I mean, that guy doesn't see that, but that's got a lot of value to it. Absolutely. You know, for me being a hunter, it's like, you know, you can go pay somebody to go hunt at a guided deal, but you're not really learning much on a guided hunt. You know, you get, you go and sit in a stand that he puts you in, which, you know, it's good for beginners sometimes, you know, if you're, if you don't know exactly what you, 
what to look for. And, and that could be a whole nother podcast on, you know, how to set up a hunting property, but, you know, going up, sitting in a stand, he puts, you have no say. And he's like, all right, here's the deer that may show up. You're spending 5,000 to go just sit in a stand and be a puppet on a string kind of, you still have to do the, the work and shooting the buck when it comes in and having a favor, obviously, but you don't learn as much as going set up a property, going up and setting your own cameras up, going and setting up your property, doing the work that it, that it takes. And like, I lease this ground and I had to put in my own food plots and set up my own stands and learn on the whole property and stuff like that. But when you barter stuff with other people that aren't really in hunters, you get to kind of like, all right, Hey, I'm going to go glass this guy's stuff. Okay. Here's a trail. I'm going to set up on a trail okay, you know what, that was a bad idea. Those deer aren't coming from here. They're coming from over here. So I need to get on the other side of the field. This is more an evening sit. This is a staging, you know, this is pinch points and, and just all that kind of stuff. So you just learn so much on hunting, you know, so many different properties instead of just like being with an outfitter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can't put a value on that. So you can't be one-to-one, you know? Sometimes you're going to luck out and you're going to get way more. Like I feel when a guy comes and fishes with me, I'm just taking them fishing off the stuff I learned. It's a value to them that it's incredible, but I'm like, Oh dude, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting this. Deal. <laughs> but to them, you're both not- sitting there talking to your buddies like, Hey, hey, hey I got this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, one time I, my buddy King, the first bull elk I ever killed was on a private ranch. Hard worked. I mean, we hunted hard, real hard for this. I learned a lot and I took him fishing for like five straight days. And I got to kill a bull elk, 330 inch bull, like with my bow, my first one, like, so I only had to take him fishing. And I got to kill a world class bull. Like, okay, I, he won, or I feel like I won that deal, you know, <laughs> but for him, he's like, dude, I, I got this and I did this and I caught this and I had this food and it's just the experience and you can't put the value on it for the other person, you know? So yeah, just, just figure out what you can offer somebody. And I'll ask, and just to say, hey, I got this. Do you want, would you barter? Where's they gonna say is now? Yep. Just always learn. Always keep learning, no matter what. That's all I, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Feel, yeah, I'm definitely the guy who's not the best hunter in the world. I don't claim to be. I don't claim to be the best shot. I don't claim to be the best hunter. But I claim that I'm always gonna learn. I'm like a sponge in the woods, and I learn from everybody that I encounter. Everybody's got an experience that. I haven't had before and I want to learn it and I want to listen and I want to get better. So if uh, people, you're still working on the website, right? But if people wanted to find you uh, online, follow what you're doing, where's the best place to check all that out? Um, I'd say my Instagram right now, I'm kind of share story, do the stories and I pretty much posting every day and the stuff that I'm doing right now, my Instagram is the strongest, my strongest source and it's, uh, Brett B R E T T underscore Canon C A N N O N. All right, I'll make sure to post up a link to that on our show notes page. That's going to be livingcountryinthecity.com slash thirty nine for episode thirty nine. Awesome. Um, yeah. So any uh, any final closing words before we uh, we shut her down? Oh man, I'm just thanks for having me, man. I hope hopefully I can. This is my first podcast too, so I don't really know if I. <laughs> or not but hopefully i can hopefully i one if one person gets one bit of information off this that's in it that's a success for me you know and i just i get a if i get a one message from it like hey man i really enjoyed or i like some i don't know anything that i can do to help one person 
that's a home run for me. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to maybe reach out to somebody and help somebody. No, that's great. And, uh, you know, I'm certainly glad to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your time, man. Thanks. You too, man. Have a good one. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 39 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all give Brett a follow. You can find all of those links along with everything we talked about on the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 39. Keep tuning in and make sure you're subscribed and don't forget to leave that rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. But until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. 